You are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Forfeit the game before somebody else takes you out of the frame. Put your name to shame, cover up your face. You can't run the race, the pace is too fast, you just won't last. What's up and welcome back to the Locked On Bucks podcast. I'm James Yarko, joined as always by David Harrison. You can find everything we're doing over at BucksNation.com and make sure you follow along on Twitter at Locked On Bucks, at JayYarko underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. Day two is a wrap and apparently, David, there was a little bit of a theme. And that theme was we want big, fast, physical corners, a big, fast, physical secondary, and we are not happy with what we have. So we're using three picks on day two to address corner and safety. Yeah, um, I think that everybody except for probably Bruce Arians and Jason Light are a little surprised in, in how it went. But at the end of the day, the Buccaneers end up with now four players in the top 100. Uh, when they entered the weekend with three picks in the top 100. So that's always a plus. Now we're going to have to see how these players turn out and uh, just how this helps kind of shape the rest of the draft and the defense moving forward. But if this was kind of their plan all along, then it definitely explains why we didn't really see the Buccaneers pursue any veteran secondary pieces outside of the uh, one safety they picked up out of Green Bay and then the AAF guy that they scooped up uh, there towards the end. Because I know we were kind of looking and expecting a little bit of action there, specifically at the cornerback position. But uh, this kind of solves that mystery a little bit there. Yeah, well, and and it was it's a little bit of a surprise which players in the secondary they went after. You know, in in the second round they go with Sean Bunting, who was a corner out of a small college, Central Michigan. You still had guys like. Uh, I can't. I can never pronounce his name, David. So you're gonna have to help me here. Onomatopoeia. Uh, Mani Awarie. Oh, Awarie. Oh, Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad I don't have to learn how to say. It. I learned how to spell it today, but I'm <laughs> glad I don't have to work on pronunciation. Um, but Bunting is a. He's a fast guy. He's a physical guy. Six foot one. Um, didn't allow a touchdown at all last year. And I realize you're talking about a school that's in the MAC. You're not facing elite competition in the MAC, but not giving up a touchdown all year long, regardless. That's impressive. You know, he only allowed a, a 39% completion rate by opposing quarterbacks when targeted. I mean, this guy looks like he's pretty darn good. I'm not going to dive too deep into it. I haven't watched <clears throat> any of his games, any of his film, any anything. Um, but I know you you started to dive in right after the pick and started watching him a little bit. What did you come away thinking? Yeah, so, I mean, we've had plenty of, of defensive backs and cornerbacks kind of on our radar and from just what, you know what we've been getting from people that we know and who the team was looking at. And Sean Bunting is a name that never came up. Um, Not once. <laughs> and so it's, I mean, it's a guy I've heard of. Like, I've heard his name. I, I knew he existed. But it's not a guy I did a whole lot of homework on. So I immediately went in uh, to his stats and and kind of the way that I break down players when I do decide to study them in depth is I look for kind of their best statistical game, their worst uh, statistical game, and then I look for big games against big opponents. And his best statistical game of this season came against Buffalo in, in 2018, which was interesting because quarterback Tyree Jackson and then Buffalo also has a wide receiver that's kind of 
gotten a little bit of day three hype as, as a guy who could kind of surprise people in the NFL. So I was I took advantage of that opportunity because, like you said, the competition in the MAC is pretty thin overall. But that kind of represented probably the best competition you were going to get uh, out of Sean Bunting tape. And yeah, so I turned it on, and uh, I mean, right off the bat, you can you can tell he's long, and that's always good. The the dude is just he's got length, uh, he's obviously got speed, and he definitely. It's not that he lacks physicality at the line of scrimmage. It's just he's not relying on his ability to prevent uh, a wide receiver to have a clean release. He's more interested in kind of knocking them off their initial release and then getting in trail position. And he likes playing from that trail position because then he can use his length uh, to help him read the ball and and make a play on the ball. Now, again, I only watched one game. I did, however, get to watch every single defensive snap he took in that game against Buffalo while also simultaneously paying attention to the draft and tweeting. So... Again, take everything with a grain of salt because, one, it's only one game. And, two, if you've ever multitasked, you, you know uh, just how much attention I was probably able to put into a whole lot of it. But just some initial uh, thoughts. He, yeah, like I said, like you said, he likes to be physical in initial contact, but he's not the greatest at, at press coverage. Um, but he, what he does is he uses it to set up his trail position, what he's, he, which he's pretty good at doing. Uh, he played inside and he played outside. Honestly, I liked the way he attacked inside more than I liked the way that he played outside. And I'm going to get to that here in a little bit as a tackler. He's very weak. He definitely, I saw him uh, take on a running back standing up and the running back hit him in the chest and bunting essentially held on for dear life while his teammates came and saved him and took the player down. The other time that he did make some tackles, uh, he was diving at ankles. He's definitely a leaping. uh, What is it? A, a, A leaping highlight or a hurdle highlight waiting to happen. Um, when he gets to the NFL because an NFL running back is going to see him going low and just and turn him into an ESPN uh, real real player. Now, don't get me wrong, he did have a play where uh, the Chippewas basically had him coming in and run support from the beginning. So as soon as the ball was, was snapped, uh, Bunting collapsed, and he got in there. He put his nose in the dirt, and he actually made a very strong, very solid tackle. The benefit he has was the element of surprise. The running back did not expect to have Bunting there so when he hit him, he definitely had him by surprise. But what it shows is that Bunting does have the willingness when he's challenged to do it and coached to do it by his coaches to get involved in run stopping. But like we've talked about before, if you're drafting a cornerback to help stop the run, you're you're in trouble because your run stoppers should be in your front seven. Corners who can stop the run are a benefit. Don't get me wrong. You definitely appreciate it. But I always go back to, and I know it's a long time since he's played, I always go back to one of the best cornerbacks to ever do it in the NFL. Deion Sanders absolutely hated tackling. You don't draft corners to tackle. You draft corners to defend the pass and hope that they can tackle. Now, two things I did see that were a little bit worrisome, but again, one game, not NFL coaching, so take everything with a huge grain of salt. Um, never saw him track the ball. Uh, when he when he was covering receivers 10, 10 plus yards down the field, I never saw him actually turn to track the ball. He played the wide receiver 100% of the time. When the wide receiver's hands went up, his hands went up, and that's going to be problematic in the NFL. In fact, against Buffalo, there was a big play that he gave up. Now, don't get me wrong, the wide receiver did push off a little bit, and he had very good trail position. He, Like I said, he likes trail position. He's very good at it, and he had very good position. The wide receiver pushed off a little bit at the end, but had Bunting had his head turned around looking for the ball, he probably would have come down with an interception. Uh, instead, the wide receiver was able to push him off at the last minute before he put his hands up, make the big catch. Uh, you said he was he didn't surrender a touchdown. 
And I would say that's a little bit iffy. So there was another play towards or uh, inside the 10-yard line. Buffalo had the ball going into the Chippewa's end zone. And they kind of ran like a rollout play where they flooded uh, Bunting's side of the field with defenders. And he got very confused. He ended up essentially standing in one spot, just hopping up and down. And that's essentially when you see a cornerback doing that and all that traffic, essentially what it is is his body knows it should be moving, but his brain doesn't know where to move. And what ended up happening is that Tyree Jackson threw the ball right over his head into a waiting receiver's arms for a touchdown. Now, the receiver wasn't his. Okay, so so that's why he wasn't credited, quote-unquote, with the touchdown. However, every single defensive back crashed down on the rollout instead of somebody getting back. Somebody in that scenario should have gotten back. I'm not saying that's bunting, but he's the only defensive back who was hopping up and down in one spot. Everybody else was at least making a movement to try to affect the play. He was the only one who really wasn't affecting the play. That's a little problematic. That's the only time I saw him do that. It was the only opportunity Buffalo really had in that type of scenario to to manipulate the defense like that. So, again, grain of salt type stuff, that's just the initial thought process. Everything I had seen, heard, and read on Bunting before today more was more of a third-round type of atmosphere around him. Um, so, yeah, so a little surprising on how high it is. But he's got all the traits and all the athletic tools. And again, if you're looking at the film and if that type of stuff kind of translates, then what you see is a player who's willing to do what he's coached to do, but he's got to be coached to do it. So in that scenario, in that rollout specifically, if the coaches later were like, hey, Bunting, you should have dropped back into the end zone. Well, that's great. But if he's never been coached to do that, he's not going to just do it because, again, those guys are out there mostly firing off a of muscle memory. So if this defensive coach can I, or this defensive staff can identify those physical traits that he's definitely demonstrated, and use those to his his advantage, then he should be just he should just he should be just fine. Um, now I have another take strictly just on the draft pick itself of picking him, um, but I've been talking for a really long time, so I definitely want to take a break and let you uh, <laughs> get some get some words in, James. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's just it was it was one of those things. Again, I'm not surprised that they went corner. I was a little surprised that the pick was bunting, but. Like I said, I mean, I haven't gone in and I haven't looked at any of his games yet. I know there are some people that are really high on him. You know, he has a high ceiling, you know, things like that. But the the trend that I noticed, like I mentioned earlier, is it's the size, it's the speed, it's the physicality. Um, so, I mean, it, it's amazing to me right now that if you if you look at the mentions, uh, especially on on Bucks Nation's Twitter account. The season's over. Jason Light should be fired. Why did they hire Bruce Arians? Um, saw somebody say if they were going to draft all these people in the secondary instead of addressing the trenches, why didn't they just draft Derwin James last year when instead they addressed the trenches? I don't understand people today, pretty much, for the most part. Um one of the one of the main reasons that I, I pretty much hate draft season. Um, so real quick, David, uh, t- before we move on to to Jamel Dean, uh, what was what's what's your take on on kind of the draft pick itself as as you had started to mention? Yeah, so my initial response when they when they took Bunting and I, I did a little research you know, and I started watching him, and like I, I, I kind of alluded to when I was talking about what I saw in the Buffalo game. This is a guy who can play inside. He can play outside. He's got good technique to play outside. If you don't expect him to just jam a guy and trap him on the line of scrimmage, which in the NFL you really can't do anyway. 
So having a guy who is willing to be physical at the line and then has good technique falling out of that is 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 definitely a strength. But then he's also able to play inside. And basically what it said to me, and this and this is what I thought before they drafted another corner and then another defensive back, is this is Bruce Arians and Todd Bowles hedging their bets because when they get to camp, when they get to rookie camp, they're going to be able to see where Sean Bunting is going to fall into what they want him to do, what they need him to do, where they think they can maximize his abilities, and if they actually mesh. If what they think they can do with him versus what he can do with their coaching actually clicks. That's step one. If that works when they get to camp, this is, without a doubt to me, this is a sign to Vernon Hargraves because if Vernon Hargraves isn't working on the outside in this defense, they can very easily shift him inside and I can see Sean Bunting having the physical tools, attributes, and skills with proper coaching to take over that role. All right. Now, if Vernon Hargraves is effective, now you have a guy in Sean Bunting who, again, has the physical traits, abilities, and skills with proper coaching to become an interior defensive back, a nickelback, whatever you want to call him, who's got size, length, speed, and athleticism. So you can line him up against tight ends, and he's got the length to disturb their catch radius. You can line him up against shorter receivers, and he's got the quick area speed, quick area burst. Now you are going to have to provide a little bit of top coverage on him if he's up against you know a, a speed slot receiver, but that's pretty much any. I mean, you're you're not going to find a whole lot of you know four two four four early or low four three slot corners in the NFL anyway. Um, so the fact that Bunting can pretty much do both, I think, is really what sold him. Because you look at a guy like Amani Warrior who, I mean, his whole draft story is a, is a mystery anyway. But talking about a guy that I really liked coming in the draft, that we really like coming in the draft, Amani Warrior basically translates to a perimeter defender. There's really nothing in his game that I see anyway that tells me he can be successful in the slot and make an NFL career out of it. So if you were to draft a guy like that, it makes a little bit less sense because now you're pigeonholed into putting Vernon Hargraves inside. So what it does, it gives Vernon Hargraves two, two bites of the apple, right? If you're not good at in, outside, we can move you in, try Sean outside, and you could potentially save your career as a, as a nickel corner. But what it also does is puts Vernon Hargraves in a situation where if he's not successful at either, this defense now has young players that this staff should be able to mold into his replacement. All right. Well, to kick off the third round, uh, the Buccaneers selected another corner in Jamel Dean. Uh, this is a kid that was committed to Ohio State he was medically disqualified after suffering multiple knee injuries in high school. Um, so he already has kind of an injury history there. He suffered a, another knee injury in training camp in 2016 after he transferred to Auburn. And then in 2017, he was able to start uh, most of the season. Um, again, another guy, he's big. He's incredibly fast a, a 4 3 40 kind of guy 41 inch vertical so he can he can contest on those jump balls um yeah and and again like uh like bunting he he allowed under 40 percent completion percentage to opposing quarterbacks and now we're talking about a guy that was doing that in the sec so you're looking at you know a much a much better gamut of competition there to be able to do things like that. Um, some issues uh, from, from what I've researched, from what I've read, not great on run defense, um, tends to kind of hang back instead of pursue the ball carrier when, when he's in position to do so. Um, 
lots of, you know, the physicality can be a good thing, but, you know, he gets into a little bit of trouble with his physicality, you know, hitting receivers before he should. And by hitting, I don't mean like tackling. I mean, you know, kind of the, the slapping of the arms or the hand checking, things like that that'll get called in the NFL. But again, you're, you're in a division now where you're facing off against Julio Jones and, uh, and Michael Thomas, and, and you have these, these big, strong, fast receivers. I can't, I'm so tired. My brain is fried. I can't remember the other receiver in, in Atlanta that really took off this year. Um, kid out of, out of Georgia. Come on, Calvin Ridley. That's the one. He did go to Georgia, didn't he? Yeah. Okay. So I'm not no, he went to uh, Alabama. Oh, that's right. It was Bama. Well, I was close. His kinda. brother came is coming out of Georgia. But again, you know, it it follows what they're doing: size, speed, physicality. You know, that's what they want. That's what Todd Bowles wants. Um, you know, and Jason Light said in his pro post draft press conference that this isn't indicative of the current crop of defensive backs on the team. But you know, competition is a great thing. I I'm going to go ahead and chalk that one up to BS because there's no way that you're drafting three defensive backs if you're satisfied with what you have in the defensive backs room. So, uh, yeah, what's what's your take on on Dean there? Uh, well, when they drafted Dean, I thought this is a guy they're going to move to safety. He he plays a lot better uh, in a backpedal. He play, he plays a lot better when the play is in front of him, when he gets behind the player, he gets into a trail position against a wide receiver, which in the NFL, because of the way the, the penalties work, and you hit the nail right on the head. He's very grabby. He's very physical, which can be good, but in the way that he does it, it's 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 got the potential to cause problems in the NFL because they're going to throw flags on him. They're going to throw flags for defense holding, for pass interference, for all of it. So he's the kind of guy that really when you look at him, you imagine he's going to be better if he can keep the play in front of him. What does that read to? It reads to a coverage, a cover safety in a single high system like Todd Bowles is something I sometimes likes to use where there's a lot of pressure up front, a lot of press coverage in, in the in the in the front end of the def- of the secondary, but then you rely on that safety to provide that safety, that top coverage. He's the kind of guy who can provide that, which is great. And made me think that the last pick of the day would almost definitely not be in the secondary because of that fact. <laughs> Yeah, I was I was kind of along the same lines, and you know I should mention, of course, and, and everybody knows, but for the the sake of clarity, you know the Bucks traded back twenty four spots, and uh, you know they had the seventy fourth pick of the or the the seventieth pick of the draft, which you know that was that was in the third round, and then they trade back to the ninety fourth, also got the ninety ninth. Um, that was a big drop, and there was still some defensive line talent there. I figured that's where they were going to go, or they were going to go offensive line. Um, but instead, they they moved back after Bruce Arians, you know, reportedly had the receiver that he wanted drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, so yeah, there was that was a, a big drop, and it, it created a very long waiting game. But. You know, I I had tweeted out with those two picks. I said I could see them going safety with one of these two picks, and and mm-hmm. like you said, they go with Dean, and I'm like, all right, well, they got another guy in the secondary. I get it. You know, so what are they going to do here? They could go offensive line. They could go, you know, defensive line. They could go running back. Um, you know, there were some other options there, and and they select safety Mike Edwards 
out of Kentucky, which was a little surprising to me for a few reasons. Number one, I have no problem with them taking a safety, but if you were going to take one, I believe there were better ones available, most notably Garner Johnson out of Florida, who for some reason has completely free fallen now all the way to day three. I don't know what's going on there. Obviously, he was rated higher by media and fans and draft analysts than actual NFL teams. And then the other guy that I really like is Deontay Thompson. And I kind of figured that he was going to be a day two guy, and he's now fallen to day three. And he's one of those versatile, can kind of do it all safeties, you know, kind of that hybrid that we like to see Todd Bowles use. And and I really liked the fit there if that was the, the direction they wanted to go. So if I was going to complain about any of the picks, it would probably be Edwards. But again, I haven't seen enough of him to really knock him at all. I just I, I think three picks in the secondary might have been a little much. But I'm gonna go ahead and chalk it up to the fact, you know, like I said on Twitter earlier, I'm just gonna assume that Jason Light and Bruce Arians and Todd Bowles know far more about what they're doing than I do. So, you know, it's it's been a problem for a few years, as has the pass rush. But you know, you can't you can't have it all. You can't do it all in one draft, and, and I I understand that, and, and people, like I said, are, are up in arms and furious, and they want everybody fired, and they want the building burned to the ground, and, you know, predicting 3-13 and 13 and 4-12 and 12 seasons, and I'm getting dumpster fire gifts sent to me, and yeah, it's just, it's why I said earlier, David, that I'm just muting everybody on Twitter, um, but obviously they weren't happy with what they had in the secondary. Obviously they felt that there was improvement to be had in the most competitive division in the NFL. And they're doing what they can to address that. They're obviously comfortable with the alignments that they can create now in this new defense. And I saw Scott Reynolds talk about it. I saw uh, there was somebody else that mentioned it as well, that it seems that people are viewing this defense as if it's still a 4-3. And it's not that anymore. It's going to be different. Maybe they are going to keep Gerald McCoy. I still doubt it. But maybe he is in their plans. But you look at other guys that can contribute in different ways now. Noah Spence, the forgotten man, he's going to contribute on the pass rush. You know, Will Golston, he's going to be able to contribute along that defensive line. You know, nobody's talking about Bo Allen. You know, Bo Allen's not a, a world beater, but he is capable. So, you know, I I don't know. You know people are going to be mad because they want to be mad on the internet, and that's and that's fine. But, um, you know, until these guys play a snap in the NFL and we see what they can do, you know, what's the point in, in screaming and crying and lighting your torches and pitchforks and heading to one buck place? I mean. Obviously, there's a plan in place here, and they're they're following that. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of time between now and and when when football starts uh, being played on the field. I, I understand the confusion. I do. Um, I don't. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I don't, I don't I don't really get visceral reactions over anything that I don't have any control over because it's a it's kind of a self defeating exercise. But I understand I don't understand why people are confused. I understand why people are frustrated because. I'm I'm not well I would say confused I just I don't know 
where the thought process is because I'm still operating off of the belief that Jerome McCoy is gone. I think everybody's pretty much operating off of that belief. And I personally don't see a replacement. But what I will say is this. Um, there are many, 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 many ways to generate a pass rush. And uh, these, these guys aren't just, you know, they're not just flicking boogers. They're not just flip, flicking names at a board and saying, oh, let's see what we can do with this once we have them. They have some sort of plan in place. And honestly, I thought about this earlier. The, the, the biggest complaint, the biggest problem with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as an administrative, as a coaching staff, as administrative staff, and for everybody basically above the player level has been what for the last three plus years? Three years to the last decade. That they're terrible. <laughs> right. So, but they're so terrible. And the, the main thread of the complaints is they're predictable. Yeah, that's if, fair. And I can't, I can't, I can't remember how many times I've said it. You've said it. We've said it. I've seen fans on Twitter say it. I've heard Chef on voicemail say it. If we know what you're doing from the television screen, then what do you think the professional defensive coordinator, head coach, offensive coordinator, whatever is aware of? You know what I mean? Well, guess what? We got a staff that's unpredictable. <laughs> Outside of Devin White, we've got a staff that's unpredictable because they've done some very unpredictable things up to this point. They've said some unpredictable things to this point. They've done some things that have taken by and large, the Buccaneers fan base by surprise and has, has kind of knocked the fan base on their heels. And everybody's saying, what What are you talking about? This is crazy. What do you mean you're taking this player? What do you mean you like this position group the way it is? What do you mean you're bringing back Donovan Smith? Well, guess what? That's the unpredictability that we've been asking for, that we've been looking for. Um, now, that's that's a, kind of a coverage way of putting it. But if you don't know what they're doing, if you don't know what they're planning on doing, if you don't know what their defense is going to look like, that's a step in the right direction because up until now, like I said, for the last three years to a decade, the fans have known what the Buccaneers were about. The fans have known what the play was going to be about, what the strategy was going to be about, how the defense was going to come out, how the offense was going to come out. And again, if you know it, if I know it, James, if we know it, what is the professional NFL head coach or coaches on the other side of the field? What do they know? So now if the fans are all in a, in a situation where we can't put together all the pieces we can't figure out what their what their mindset is, what their game plan is. That's a positive because now it's a step in the right direction. So that's the way I'm kind of trying to – you can call it spin. You can call it whatever you want. But this coaching staff is inheriting these players. And I guess trying to hold them accountable for what was done before. Listen, MJ Stewart was not drafted based off the recommendation of any coach in the building right now. Uh, even Carlton Davis, Vernon Hargraves, JV and Elliott, Isaiah Johnson – None of these guys, all right, Justin Evans, none of these guys have were brought in by the coaches or were brought in based off the recommendation or the pounding of the table or whatever of the coaches currently in the building. So, yes, while a lot of, of draft capital has been invested in the secondary recently, I agree that that's frustrating. If this coaching staff that's brought in to fix this defense says, hey, Jason, Part of the problem is all these guys that your coaches previously were telling you to draft and pounding the table for telling you they can make it work. They're trash. We need to get rid of them. We need to shift them out and get new guys in. This could be part of that process. And it's not gonna, it's not gonna be painless. It's gonna be, you know, it can't all be rainbows and sunshine because if Bruce Arians and Todd Bowles and Byron Leftwich came in and didn't have to make any type of painful moves, any type of painful decisions, 
then th- there wouldn't be a need for a change. Like change is, is seldomly comfortable. You know what I mean? So this is just kind of part of it. Again, I'm just as confused as you guys. I'm not sitting here saying I saw this coming because I definitely didn't. I thought offensive line was probably going to be an area they would target. Interior defensive line edge was going to be something they would target. Uh, it, it, what's ironic is about Deontay Johnson, the wide receiver out of Toledo, James, is when you and Evan and I were on doing our final dueling mock draft, he's actually a guy that was up in, in I want to say, the third round, and I saw him and I said, ooh, I really like this guy. I remembered him. I remember watching a little bit about him. I remember reading a little bit about him. I was like, I really like this guy. I really think he'd fit in this offense really well. And I remember thinking, nah, they're not going to go with a wide receiver at this at this point in the draft. And then, lo and behold, they actually would have had Pittsburgh not jumped up and taken him first. So I would have looked like a genius had it all panned out correctly. But anyway, um, yeah. But so you, I, I think we pretty what? much beat dead day two to, to death. You know what might make you look like a genius? What's that? If the Bucks kick off day three by drafting Justice Hill out of Oklahoma State. Um, if the, the Buccaneers kick off day three by drafting Justice Hill out of Oklahoma State, Bucks Twitter might just implode, which I know would make you happy, but Bucks Twitter might actually just implode. Um, do you have a target for their first pick in day three? Because I do. But I'm also writing the day three preview, so it's it's not fair to you. you know what? Go ahead and, and give me yours. Give give me a second, and I will have one. Because I do have a few ideas. I just have to double-check something first. Okay. So when, when day three kicks off, I'm looking for the Buccaneers to do what we kind of all expected them to do in day two, which is address the trenches a little bit better. Uh, so, and... Shout out to uh, to JC because literally, as I'm looking for the picture of this gentleman to put as the the cover photo for my for my day three preview, he tweets out that he has to believe that Byron Coward out of Maryland has to be a target for the Buccaneers in day three. Defensive tackle or defense uh, defensive end. Uh, well, I mean, I, I suppose he could play both. You know, uh, kind of a three tech possible guy. Um, the what I really love is that the picture I found is of him winning a rep against Wisconsin. Offensive lineman Michael Dieter, who's a guy that we talked about in our dueling mock draft, a guy that a lot of Bucks fans, when he got drafted, uh, I can't remember who took him, but it obviously wasn't the Bucks. When he got drafted, Bucks fans were a little bit upset because that was a guy they kind of coveted for their team. So it kind of shows you if you if you look into the picture, it kind of shows you that this is a guy who has the ability to match up against guys who have been drafted already in the first couple of days of the draft, and he's definitely got some upside. Now again, I don't see him as a guy who. All right, you drafted him. Now cut or trade Gerald McCoy, and he can start day one. But again, I kind of lean on the whole. There are other, there are other avenues that this team can go. Uh, they can put a guy like Howard in a situation where he can be successful. He can provide a role for the defense to where they can generate a pass rush off of that. They don't necessarily need him to be the first step disruptor that Gerald McCoy is to get a decent pass rush because it's not for nothing. But Gerald McCoy has been that first step disruptor his entire time in Tampa, and I don't know if I've ever seen the Buccaneers really have a consistent, uh, consistently effective pass rush. So you having a, a, a first-step disruptor and a guy like Joe McCoy in the interior defensive line doesn't guarantee you an effective pass rush. Not having one also doesn't guarantee you that you won't have an effective pass rush. It just means it's going to look different, which again, going back to our previous complaints as a collective, you want different. So we're getting different different 
isn't going to be comfortable all the time. Um, a couple of guys that I think they could kick off day three with that that would fit well and might calm down the masses. And I realize they don't need to cater to the masses because, again, the guys in that building are a lot smarter than Twitter GMs or you or me or or anyone else. Otherwise, we would be the ones in those rooms. But you look at, at a few edge guys like Christian Miller or um, if you want to go small school again, you know, they, they already got Central Michigan covered uh, with with the corner. Now you can go edge over at Eastern Michigan with Max Crosby. I like both of those guys. Um, what how do you uh, how do you pronounce the, the last name here? Drew, is it Samia from Oklahoma? Um, there's, that's there's how some, I pronounce it. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So there's an interior offensive lineman. Um, you know, there's, there's a couple of options there, uh, outside of that. I mean, yeah, I, I, I look at some of these, some of these players available and I have to laugh at, at, you know, going back to day one and, and seeing people talk about how you, you could have gotten, you know, uh, a starting caliber inside linebacker later, like a Mac Wilson from Alabama, who is still available. Um, hmm. But yeah, I mean, there's, you have to think that they go trenches, but of course we thought that about, about day two and, and it didn't come to fruition. So I do look for them to address the interior offensive line or an edge rusher, uh, I do like Omenihu out of Texas, but mm-hmm. I think you could even probably get him in the fifth round. Um, he seems to kind of have the the label of kind of a rotational or backup at best, uh, whereas some of these other guys might actually be able to develop into being able to play some larger roles. So, yeah, just just a couple of people there. But at this point, nothing is going to surprise me. Because they drafted three defensive backs in one day, and uh, yeah, nothing, nothing will surprise me. You know, I mean, so you look at Samia; he's definitely a guy I've got my eye on as well. And I don't want to give away my entire day three preview uh, that I'm in the process of writing. But um, another, another two, two guys actually, because I think it was Trevor who came on the show and mentioned that Vita Vea has shown flashes of the athleticism and the skills necessary to possibly move and play three tech when, when, when called upon. Um, and if, if they do that, there, there's a pair of Texas A&M defensive linemen who are probably going to be available after the Buccaneers select for the first time tomorrow, potentially in the fifth round. And in uh, Kingsley Kiki, who is more of a three tech type of guy that would play next to Vita Vea and Vita Vea would continue to be kind of that block eater, uh, not so much nose tackle, but you know, kind of the the big bulk part of the interior of the defensive line. But then you also have Dalen Mack, who could become the bulk, while uh, Vita Vea kind of uses a little bit more of his quickness and his athleticism uh, to play more of that three tech role and try to get some early penetration and win and win some downs that way. So there's options still available. Again, I can't tell you like when we talked about a guy like Christian Wilkins, we talked about a guy like Dexter Lawrence, like. I could tell you if we put Christian Wilkins or we put Dexter Lawrence on this defensive line or even Jerry Tillery on this defensive line and get rid of Gerald McCoy, that I think we're it's a push because of where Gerald McCoy is right now in his career. I think it's a push. I think you have basically the same defensive line. And the positive you can look at it from is that the piece you just put in is much younger, has much and has room to grow. Whereas Gerald McCoy is, you know, he's he's 
Gerald McCoy is who he is. Um, you're not really going to get much more development out of a guy like Gerald McCoy. So that's where we were then. Now, like I can't tell you, like if you put Byron Cower, if you put Kingsley Kiki, if you put Dalen Mack on that defensive front with Vita Vea, I'm not going to tell you it's the same defensive line to push. It's definitely a drop off. However, again, when you look at you've got Devin White, you've got Levante David, you've got JPP, you've got Carl Nassib, you've got Noah Spence, who, uh, again, everything that we're hearing is the defensive staff is really excited for what Noah's going to do in this defense. So don't forget about Noah Spence as a potential uh, earth mover, right? You've got those five guys, you know, playing kind of your, your linebacker roles, your pass rusher roles from a stand up type of position. And then you still got guys like Will Golston who are still on the team. And you got you you mentioned some other guys that are still on the team. And then we have draft picks potentially still coming. So the front seven, as it is, especially adding Devin White, doesn't look terrible. But shoring up because uh, one of our voicemail callers mentioned it. You know, and when you play the the the, the Drew Breeses of the league, when you play the Matt Ryan's of the league. You have to have more than a pass rush because your pass rush isn't going to get home enough for you to rely on happening, having simply a pass rush. You have to have a competent secondary. And Greg Allman tweeted the secondary gave up 70 plus percent completion uh, rating or uh, 70 plus percent completion percentage to opposing quarterbacks in 2018. That's not all on the pass rush. You know what I mean? Um, you need to have guys who can disrupt disrupt at the line. You have to have guys who can cover tight, who can, who can get in somebody's hip pocket. You have to have safeties who can do both. They can they run back. And the only thing I would say about Mike Edwards versus Charlie Garner-Johnson Garner is I think Garner-Johnson honestly does a little bit more of what Justin Evans does, whereas Mike Edwards provides something that Justin Evans doesn't provide. So maybe that's where the value came in as far as need plus evaluation of, of the player. Um, I don't know. They'll have to ask Coach that. I'm sure somebody's going to ask Coach or Jason Light why they went Mike Edwards over Charlie Garner-Johnson. Gardner -Johnson. So we'll get that answer hopefully soon enough. But just some other morsels, just some food for thought. There's still plenty of talent on this board. This is a very, very deep draft, and we're this thing is far from over. Uh, so just just hang in there, folks. David, before we uh, before we wrap this up, if you if you guys haven't seen it, I know it's not Bucks related. Look up the video of the Seattle Seahawks calling DK Metcalf because <clears throat> that right there is what the NFL draft is all about. Hearing that man have his dream come true and just absolutely lose control, it just every emotion just pouring out of him at once, that's what it's all about. Because, and I'm, I'm going to end here with a, a soapbox moment here. So many people on social media or message boards or whatever the case may be want to trash this player or trash that player or, you know, criticize this and that and the other thing. These are kids. These are 19, 20, 21, 22 year old kids and their lives have just changed forever. They have been working at this since they were in, you know, flag football, peewee, whatever. And they've played this game their whole life, worked their way up to going to college to play this game. And now they get to play this game for their career, their dreams, their family's dreams, the hard work that has been poured in. 
has come to fruition. And you can hear that in that video from DK Metcalf. So everyone can bash all they want, but just remember, you're talking about human beings that have worked their whole lives for this exact moment. And whether you like the picks or not, whether you're happy with them or not, you should be happy for the people who are picked because it would be really hard for any of us to wrap our head around exactly what this would feel like, exactly what this would mean if it were to happen to us. So there's my soapbox moment. But again, if you haven't seen it, check out the video of DK Metcalf finding out he was being drafted by the Seattle Seahawks because that, that right there is what makes this weekend great. So if you have anything else that you would like to say to us, make sure you're giving us your voicemail reactions at 813-444-5841. Round-the-clock coverage still coming at BucksNation.com. David's working on his day three primer. Bailey Adams is going to have the things to know about the players that were drafted on day two. He's working on the third one now. God bless him. Uh, yeah, because it is, it is almost 1230 in the morning. And uh, so we're going to have two of those up. Yeah, lots and lots of coverage over Bucks Nation. So make sure you're checking that out. Follow along on Twitter at Locked On Bucks, at JRCO underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. Let's have a great day three of the draft. Hope you all have a safe, wonderful, enjoyable weekend. We will talk to you all again on Monday. Thank you all so much for joining us right here at Locked On Bucks. Ah!